situation critical in emergency health services. We're even more stretched than we were last year. Concerns calls to 911 might go unanswered with summer demand heating up. No parking without a pass. It's good and bad. The problem is a lot of people book and maybe they doesn't come. The first day with a new system at a popular park shows deserted lots, even though it's totally booked. And class of 2022. The former Canucks being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The people who run BC's 911 service say they're busier than ever, struggling to keep up with a surge in calls this year. So as Kamal Karamali reports, they're asking you to think before you dial for fear emergency operators may not be standing by. The first summer in two years without COVID restrictions will mean a lot of this. And this. But with the number of crowded events expected to blow up... 911, please fire ambulance. 911 operators are bracing for the number of calls to explode as well. Where there's a large number of people all gathered together, there's going to be more incidents. Caused by the perfect storm of weather-related events, the opioid crisis, and loosening of COVID restrictions leading to large crowds. Last year, for the first time ever, Ecom took more than 2 million calls, with 9 out of its 10 busiest days on record. Halfway through 2022, 911 operators have already taken more than 800,000 calls. And that's before the peak summer months. By the end of the year, Ecom anticipates calls will be up 12% compared to last year. So this summer, they're asking the public to think twice before pushing those three buttons. Understanding the difference between calling 911 when you need immediate assistance from first responders versus reporting non-urgent police matters. But the paramedics union says the answer lies with hiring more ambulance and e-com staff. Putting this back on the public is not the solution. The first solution is having enough emergency medical call takers and dispatchers and 911 operators to answer all the calls that they come in. BC Emergency Health Services said in an interview last week, it has expanded the number of positions since last year. The trouble is now finding people to fill those vacancies. We still do have many vacancies, although we have filled uh, around 79% of all the vacancies across the province. Late last year, Ecom was so inundated with calls, it introduced a new measure where 911 operators can hang up on a caller who's waiting for an ambulance, freeing up space for them to take other calls. That measure is still in effect. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A reservation system to help with parking congestion at the very popular Bunsen Lake is getting a failing grade from some drivers on its first day. On the hottest day of the year so far, many spots sat empty while people eager to get to the lake to cool off were turned away. Krista Dow explains. A daily checkpoint now in place to make sure you have one of these. Hi, do you have a reservation? A new online parking reservation system is required for all vehicles entering Bunsen Lake and remains in effect until the September long weekend. It's good and bad. The problem is a lot of people book and maybe they doesn't come because it's for free. 
Some trails along the scenic lake would require a pass for the entire day. I feel like we should have the right to be here as long as we want, almost. This family only able to reserve a half day as all day parking passes were fully booked. At odds with this relatively empty parking lot. It's 12. <laughs> so we have only two hours and then we have to go. We don't know or if people are coming just for the end of the day after work. So maybe. There's a lot of parking spots. So I'm not sure if they're basing it on like a certain capacity for each slot. Or BC Hydro is urging patients with this pilot program and says they'll be looking to work out the kinks. The previous first-come, first-served system saw lengthy lineups heavy congestion and safety issues. We have reports of you know, people parking on private property, uh, people blocking access to the fire department. We'll evaluate how things are going and if people are complying and if we need to make some tweaks to the system. Visitors here say changes are necessary. Many frustrated drivers being turned away by Monday afternoon as all reservations, including half days, were taken. I even saw a few people getting irate with the flagger because they're getting turned away because they didn't have reservations. And I come in and see like, hey, it's empty. Why not? Why are they getting turned away? BC Hydro staff will be out monitoring compliance. But right now, there are no penalties for any no-shows or staying past your allotted time. An honor system that many don't appear to be following. Krista Dow, Global News. And it was a great day to hit a park if you could get a parking spot. And the last hot day in this stretch of summer weather before the temperatures drop. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with a look at what's next. Christy? Well, Sophie, today, as you said, is the last day, but it really was the hottest of the bunch. Lynn hit 38.5 degrees. That was the hot spot across Canada today. Nowhere near the 49.6, though, that they saw last year. Nonetheless, if you don't like the heat, a big drop in temperature by a good 10 degrees, maybe more to more back to near seasonal values. But the concern is that it comes with heavy rain and thunderstorms. Here's a look. So the BC River Forecast Centre is looking at this as the last big thing that they're concerned about because the rivers are full, they're at capacity. And with these isolated pockets of very intense rain, we could see significant runoff. So the impact will happen Tuesday and into Wednesday where uh, down through the lower Fraser, we may even see that impact of the heavy rain into Friday. When I come back though, we'll time out this rainfall and which areas will get impacted hardest. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Christy. The body of a Calgary man who has been missing since June 18th after jumping into Okanagan Lake from a boat has been found. Police say on that day, 34-year-old Olawashian Samson Adadiji jumped into Okanagan Lake between Rattlesnake Island and Squally Point near Peachland and never resurfaced. Today, the RCMP's underwater recovery team located and pulled Adadiji's body out of the water Police say he was found at about 64 meters in depth, approximately one half kilometer from where he went missing. The man was vacationing in the Okanagan at the time with five friends. Well, couples in B.C. hoping to get married this year will be paying significantly more to tie the knot. The wedding industry is seeing costs skyrocket as it deals with 30-year high inflation, supply chain challenges and labor shortages. Kylie Stanton has more. First comes love, then comes marriage. We just kind of knew, like, this was it. Like, this, we were each other's forever. 
But as many couples are learning, the actual wedding doesn't come cheap. It was mind-blowing. Like, it was almost like, can we actually afford our dream wedding? We've been talking about it forever. We didn't even know if it was going to be real. Alexandria Gillies and her fiancé have now shifted their plans after their venue of choice quoted them $16,000 for the food alone. And not including my dress, not including the flowers or anything. It came to 26000 and then some change. But between the already competitive and pricey wedding industry, facing huge demand after a two-year hiatus, sky-high inflation, supply chain challenges and labor shortages, costs are up across the board by roughly 30 a lot of these budgets would have been already pre-pandemic forty, fifty thousand dollars, um, and that's kind of just an average. So now we're looking upwards of sixty, seventy thousand dollars, really just an average cost to get married. According to one local restaurant, back in 2019, a buffet dinner would range from twenty-eight to forty-five dollars per person. That's now up to forty to fifty-five dollars each. What boils down to surging food costs. The short ribs pre-pandemic that came to fifteen dollars per kilogram are now a whopping twenty-four dollars, while produce has nearly doubled in price and essentials like cooking oil now triple. <laughs> Tough to swallow. But there are ways to save. Get really tight on your guest list. And also the off-season. Gillies has gotten creative, taking on a second job to try and cover the costs, while her family has launched a GoFundMe in an effort to help. But even then, her dream wedding may remain just that. It's just a fantasy at this point. Like, can you really get there? It's heartbreaking. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Some good news for B.C.'s small businesses in a newly released public opinion survey. The poll by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business found nearly 9 in 10 British Columbians, 86%, believe supporting small business is important. And it's not all talk. 62% say most of their favourite places to shop are in fact small businesses. As to why they like to shop small, 72% say it's to support their community. 55% say friendliness and vibe from the owner and staff. 45% say it's for high quality services and products. 43% say convenience, as in being close to home. And 37% say it's for unique items and experiences. Now, despite the support, the CFIB says half of BC small businesses say they are still bringing in less than their normal revenue. The BCGEU resumes talks with its employer today looking for a higher-than-usual wage increase. For a closer look at government finances and whether it can be done, Keith Baldry joins us. Keith, can the government afford this and what are the actual numbers we're looking at here? Yeah, no matter how you slice it, Sophie, the numbers are huge. The biggest uh, wage increase the unions have been looking for for decades because inflation is running so high. The BCGU, when talks broke off, was looking for 5% a year, uh, each year for two years. If you do a three-year deal, which is what the government is looking at, it would cost $9.6 billion to fund a 5% wage increase for all the employees across the board. A lot of money, but take a look at the government financial picture when it comes to funding. There's a lot of unallocated spending in the three-year plan. More than $10 billion in contingency 
contingencies. There's also pandemic recovery, recovery contingencies of $3 billion. Forecast allowances, $3 billion. And again, you put it all together, it's more than $16 billion over three years in unallocated spending. Much of that will go to fund wages. We caught up with Alex Hemingway, the economist with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, who points out not only is there a huge amount of money to fund higher than usual wage increases, it makes sense economically. I think many folks want to see uh, these important social, environmental inf infrastructure issues addressed. We're sometimes told that the, the cupboard is bare, but when you look at our overall fiscal position and our economic position, uh, we do have the flexibility to make those investments. And, and we'd be making a uh, we'd be making an important mistake by not uh, investing in these areas uh, because that's going to put a drag on our economic growth in the long run. So to be clear, contingencies, of course, are there for disasters, for emergencies. So they're there to fund uh, the cost for fighting wildfires, for flooding uh, damage. So that's going to eat into that contingency significantly, but not to the point of taking all that money away from potential wage increases. At the end of the day, we're going to see uh, the highest wage increase for public sector unions that we've seen in decades. Probably not as high as what the GU and others are looking for, but definitely higher than we've seen the last several uh, bargaining rounds. All right. We'll see how it all plays out. Thanks, Keith. Daniel and Henrik and Bobby Lou too. After stellar careers with the Canucks, the class of 2022 heading into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Squire Barnes breaks it down for us in just over a minute. Security cameras capture the moment shots ring out in a Penticton neighborhood. Why it could have been a lot worse coming up. And a big boost to make the new Vancouver Art Gallery a reality. What inspired that new design coming up later? Right now, though, a big shout out and even bigger honor to three Vancouver Canucks selected for the Hockey Hall of Fame class of 2022. That's right. Squire Barnes joins us now with more on this. Squire Roberto Luongo and, of course, the Sedines get in in the first year they're eligible. What does that say about their contributions to the game? Well, getting in in your first year is a big deal. A lot of guys have to wait a number of years before they are finally voted in, but as soon as they were eligible, the Sedins ran, and we all kind of thought they would be in first time out. And Roberto Luongo, and it's rare for a goalie, at least in the last 20 years, to get in during his first year of eligibility. Yeah, he didn't win the Stanley Cup, but that doesn't automatically get you into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He was a great goaltender, not just for the Vancouver Canucks, but for the Florida Panthers. He played a lot of years in Florida more, actually, than he did the Canucks. And, of course, he's a two-time gold medal winner as well and was the goalie of record when the uh, Canadians won the gold in Vancouver in 2010. And, of course, I don't know much more we can say about the Sedins, but it was interesting. When they were called today to be told they were in the Hall of Fame, they were told it wasn't just your great play that got you into the Hall of Fame. It's the fact you were great people as well and really carried yourselves as people and the Canucks and the NHL and did nothing but good here in Vancouver. And this, this effectively doubles, or I guess depending on how you look at Luongo's um, uh, induction uh, squire, but it, it, it significantly increases the number of Canucks in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, it does. I mean, there are guys who played in Vancouver and are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I don't know how many people out there would consider Messier a Canuck, <laughs> even though he was here for three years, but he's in. I mean, Larry Onoff is in. Cam Neely was drafted by Vancouver and got in. Uh, Matt Sundin played here briefly and got in. I guess the only other big Canuck is Pavel Burry. He was drafted here, played here 
for a good chunk of his career and then went to Florida, which is kind of what Luongo did. He mm-hmm. went to Florida after playing here for a while. But, you know, and I think the nice thing is all three of these guys are buddies and the fact they're all going in together, they were part of a great era in Canucks history, is going to be extra special for all of them. Mm-hmm. The greatest line in hockey, as Strombone said on Twitter today. <laughs> That's right, Sedin, yeah. Sedin, Luongo. Yeah. Great senses of humor and good guys all around. Thanks very much, Squire. Okay. Just ahead, the gift of food that turned into an epic fail. What should have been a five-minute order became like 20 minutes of frustration. Told she was banished from Uber Eats forever. What happened when Consumer Matters got involved? Also ahead, coming home to college. How new student housing is a game changer in the Okanagan. After a busy afternoon, traffic is moving well both ways on Highway 1 through Vancouver and Burnaby, which is minor congestion at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Well, using an online food delivery service is very convenient when things work the way they're supposed to. Ah, uh, that is the hook. But a North Vancouver woman ran into some big problems when trying to order with Uber Eats which ultimately led to her account being deactivated. That's when she reached out to Consumer Matters for help, and Andrew is here with more. Thanks, Chris. Heather Abbey says dealing with Uber was frustrating, to say the least. She says it became somewhat of a mystery why Uber decided to close her account. When she searched for an explanation on her own, Heather says she was met with silence. What should have been a five-minute order became like 20 minutes of frustration. Heather Abbey describes her recent experience with Uber Eats. She had received a $200 Uber gift card from her employer for a job well done and was looking forward to using it. You know, when you get a gift card like this and you're thinking this is awesome. But her experience was anything but. Heather says when she logged onto her Uber account to use the gift card, she received an unexpected response from the online food delivery service. I kept getting these error messages and I ended up trying my credit card, still got error messages. Eventually, she reached out to Uber for help, but says her situation went from bad to worse. It's frustrating when you're in the app. There's no phone number, there's no service, there's no contact us. Finally, Heather says she managed to get an online chat going with an Uber representative. She was shocked with the outcome. Uber telling Heather, After careful consideration, we've determined that you're no longer eligible to ride with Uber and your account will be deactivated effective immediately. While we understand this news may be upsetting, our decision is final. Case closed. They won't won't even tell me what. I said, can you tell me what this activity is? Oh, we can't disclose that. Well, if you can. (laughs) So you've made the decision. You won't tell me what I've done. You won't tell me when, how, why. And you've just closed my account. And Uber seized Heather's $200 gift card. Heather says years ago she recalls cancelling her credit card because of fraudulent activity on her Uber account, but says no one at Uber would hear her out. She came to Consumer Matters for help. It was just frustrating and wrong when they won't talk to you or engage or let you defend yourself or understand what happened. Consumer Matters reached out to Uber on Heather's behalf. 
Uber activating her card a few days later. What the rider experienced is frustrating. We resolved the issue with her account and she has access to the gift card. Thank you, <laughs> because it was you who, you know, helped get my, I think, my account reactivated because they certainly had gone silent. You know, here's my account. Heather says Uber told her it was a system glitch related to fraud on her previous credit card. Still, Heather says she just wished someone at Uber would have taken the time to listen. It's wrong because I think most people would give up, um, but I wasn't willing to give up. Now, we asked Uber to explain why staff didn't look at Heather's case and tried to resolve the issue when she reached out on her own. But Uber did not get back to us with a response to that particular question. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Okanagan College in Kelowna broke ground on a new student housing development this afternoon valued at more than $36 million. The project will be the institution's first on-campus student housing added in more than 30 years. Global's Jaden Wozni reports. Two, three. Okanagan College's new student housing on the corner of KLO and West Campus Road in Kelowna will add 216 beds for a total of 360 beds on campus. The location will eliminate the need for students to commute to class by vehicle, which in turn will allow for more time to focus on their studies. The college's president says this development is long overdue. To be able to, to welcome onto campus you know, up to 216 students that can make campus home and at the same time be fully integrated into the Pandozi neighborhood, it really does create that seamless barrier. According to a Stats Canada report issued earlier this year, Kelowna is the fastest growing metropolitan area in Canada, making it difficult for some students to find housing. There's definitely a shortage. Um, I think there's a shortage on rentals in general in the valley um, so this will be very huge to alleviate that stress on uh, the community as well to open up some more spots for more families in the community. Finding housing in the city can be even harder for international students because they don't typically have the option to view what's on the market in person and they pay more for tuition than students who are from here. The hope is that this new development will help erase some of the stress of coming to Kelowna to study. I think this is going to be great because uh, we have um, basically housing coordinators that directly work with students. So that's why I think it, it, they basically uh, streamline the process. I think it's easier for uh, for uh, for students as well. Now that the ground has been broken on the new student housing project here at the Okanagan College in Kelowna, construction will start right away and it's expected to be completed by winter of 2023. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. Coming up, Russia's assault on Ukraine goes beyond bombing buildings. Allegations it's deliberately targeting priceless cultural artifacts too. And animal activists on trial. The charges they face after visiting a local hog farm. Seeing some pretty typical delays over here at the Patello Bridge with most of the traffic southbound on McBride through the Queens Park stretch as well as on the Columbia on-ramp. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, security footage captured a terrifying incident in Penticton when bullets rang out early Sunday morning. As Global's Taya Fast reports, a group of friends narrowly escaped injury and a family home was caught in the crossfire. 
A group of friends narrowly escaped injury after being shot at multiple times in Penticton. The alarming incident was captured by Stephen Richmond's security cameras early Sunday morning. We heard the, you know, started, heard the first bang. And I actually yelled at everybody in the house to get on the ground because... I knew what it was. It was pretty close to the house. According to RCMP, a group of friends were walking home around 2 a.m. when a man approached them near Wade Avenue East and Van Horn Street. The man then allegedly assaulted one of the friends, and as the group tried to intervene, another man approached them from a distance and fired several shots. You know, I walk the dog, and sometimes at night I'll take him for a walk when it's hot out late at night. and. Even last night, I took the dog out and, you know, I was, I was a little on ease, right? Like, you know, somebody kind of jump out at me, right? Across the street, bullets sprayed this family's home, hitting their fence, wall, and barbecue. We were at a wedding and we came home 30 minutes before it happened. And, uh, you know, baby couldn't sleep and my mom was soothing him and walking him around the house. And you always think, well, what, what would have happened if, you know, we would have come home 30 minutes later or if... Um, baby was up then and my mom was soothing him. She went on to say that the incident could have been a lot worse. Yeah, it's disheartening and uh, it sucks to have that and could have, uh, glad no one got hurt and glad uh, baby was okay and my parents and my husband and everything and we're all good and no one got hurt. In a statement from Penticton RCMP said the out-of-town group allegedly didn't know the suspects and believe this wasn't a targeted shooting and the motive at this time is unknown. Penticton RCMP is now looking for the two suspects. One is described as short with a darker complexion and at the time of the shooting was wearing a hoodie with a hood covering his face. The second suspect is taller, stocky and was wearing a white t-shirt at the time. Anyone with information is being asked to contact Penticton RCMP or Crime Stoppers. TFAS Global News, Penticton. A trial is underway in Abbotsford that pits animal rights activists against a hog farm, the police, and the SPCA. Three people are facing a number of charges, and we want to warn you the images in this story might be disturbing. Grace Key reports on the first day of testimony. This group has gathered at the Abbotsford Courthouse to show support for three activists, Roy Sassano, Amy Serrano, and Nicholas Schaefer, facing various break-and-enter and mischief charges related to an area hog farm. Transparency is crucial in this case, and we will use this trial to shine a light on the tragic abuse carried out by Excelsior Hog Farm and its owners, who will be taking the stand as part of our trial. Some of the charges stem from this protest back on April 2019 at the Excelsior Hog Farm in Abbotsford. Police testified how a group entered the barn and refused to leave unless media were allowed to tour the facility. The owner agreed, providing the tour. This farm facility is a, is a modern-day farm, and we do an awesome job as a family taking care of these animals. In 2019, these pigs were found at one of British Columbia's largest pig farms, the protest was prompted by video allegedly taken at Excelsior showing pigs suffering from golf ball-sized growths and rotting animals. The farm owner says the images might not be from his farm. He also gave police hidden surveillance cameras found in his barns back in March. It's Crown's theory that the accused planted the cameras. The activists are not only critical of the farm, but the Abbotsford Police Department and BCSPCA for their handling of the investigation. We hope that as our trial continues, the improper actions of the Abbotsford Police and the BCSPCA will be exposed. 
We will show systemic bias against animals and activists. A statement from the BCSPCA reads, in part, the reason the Excelsior case was not able to move forward was not because of lack of will or effort on the part of the SPCA investigators, but because the sole evidence in the case was a video that was obtained illegally. 19 days have been set aside for the trial. Grace Key, Global News. Well, there may be some new developments when it comes to the January 6th investigation. The panel has announced a surprise hearing for Tuesday afternoon. According to the select committee, they plan to release some newly obtained evidence and to hear more witness testimony. Neither the source nor topic of this new evidence has been released. Officials in Ukraine say at least 11 people are dead and 50 more were injured when Russian missiles hit a crowded shopping center in the eastern city of Kremenchuk. The missiles sparked a huge fire that raged through the mall. At least a thousand people were reportedly inside the mall at the time. The fire is now mostly out and the search has begun for more victims and possibly survivors. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky says the mall posed no danger to Russian forces in the area. It was simply full of people trying to live their lives. Well, four months after Russia invaded Ukraine, thousands in the country are fighting to survive and millions are trying to stay safe. And not only are they watching Russia destroy buildings and infrastructure, their country's proud culture is in the crosshairs too. Global Sean O'Shea reports from Kharkiv, Ukraine. Russia's invasion of this country over the last four months has left civilians and soldiers dead. It's left apartments and homes uninhabitable, schools destroyed and businesses wrecked. But beyond the human and physical toll, cultural institutions have also been targeted. This is the Kharkiv Opera House. It's still standing, but galleries and museums have been hit. Ukrainians firmly believe that Russians are out to destroy or appropriate their culture in this war, representing a kind of second front. War is about identity. Um, it's about um, Russians' idea that Ukrainian identity does not exist. So it should be destroyed, it should be shelled, it should be looted. Earlier this month, some cultural performances like ballet and opera resumed. This woman we spoke to was emotional when we asked why she came out. Her grandson's in the military. She needed a break from war, she said. Others say they came to the ballet for entertainment and to make a point. Also, Russians want to destroy our culture and our language, and uh, we want to do everything to support it, to defend it. Deliberately attacking a cultural institution could be considered a war crime. Many Ukrainians say they'll defend their culture just as their military defends their border. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Kharkiv. City of Ottawa officials are promising protests planned by groups related to the so-called Freedom Convoy will not turn into another occupation this Canada Day long weekend. We won't be intimidated by any group that plans to disrupt the celebrations. We're prepared and we will not tolerate any illegal activity by anyone. Work is underway ahead of the holiday weekend. Legal protests will be allowed, but interim police chief Steve Bell says illegal activities such as setting up structures or threatening an occupation will be stopped. Another vehicle exclusion zone is also being set up in front of Parliament Hill, preventing vehicles from gathering in this area like they did earlier this year. Bell says they expect larger Canada Day crowds and more protests than usual, but he did not give an estimate.
The Canadian government is announcing funding to help frontline and essential workers who are suffering from PTSD and trauma due to the COVID-19 pandemic. That this is about us uh, keeping people well, not just patching them up when they get sick, as Tommy Douglas said, but also uh, what is the medicine will of keeping people well in a balance, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And $28 million will go into supporting nine projects across Canada to help those whose mental health has been impacted. The projects will help test intervention methods, develop resources for at-risk populations, and create guidance for service providers and organizations. Just ahead, a museum of the future draws inspiration from the past. If all goes as planned, we'll break ground next year in 2023. A first look at what a new Vancouver Art Gallery could look like. And coming up in sports, the record-setting performance for the BC Lions that came at a price. All right, uh, time to check in with Christy Gordon once again with a look at our weather forecast. And it's pool weather, it's beach weather, it's patio weather, all of those things, Christy. Yeah, we went from winter, it seemed like, right into summer. And boy, was it a surge of heat today, the hottest of the bunch. I thought we'd have a look at some of the numbers across the region. The hot spot across the lower mainland was in Coquitlam at 35 degrees. And for the Vancouver Island region, the hot spot was across uh, Port Alberni, where uh, it's showing 31 on this map, but it actually got up to about 32.5 there. Uh, Squamish hitting 34 in other parts of the lower mainland, also hitting 34. Uh, we talked about earlier the hot spot in the interior 39 it was actually 38.5 uh, and that was a hot spot across Canada um, in Lydon but nowhere near what we saw in the heat dome and we are going to see a drastic change by a good 9 to 10 degrees in mo- many areas so from 32 inland today down to 23 degrees so near seasonal values expected tomorrow and even cooler on Wednesday as this huge upper level low pushes in but with this upper level low we are going to see instability so that means pockets of rainfall will be really intense at times and it comes with thunderstorms also so for the morning hours the okanagan valley is one area we're watching the caribou thompson area as well and then it shifts a little bit further north so the north columbia region as well so these pockets are concerned because uh, the rivers are at capacity right now and any kind of runoff that we would get could really impact the rivers quinell river currently only one though under a flood warning it's going to be very isolated this rainfall so very difficult to pinpoint exactly where that rainfall will be. Nonetheless, all areas should keep their eye on the sky tomorrow afternoon from basically northern BC right down through southern BC. And when thunder roars, head indoors. You actually have the potential of getting hit by lightning even anytime you can hear thunder. As we head into the latter part of the week, though, it looks like things clear out just in time for the start of our long weekend. Yes, Canada Day looking pretty nice with some sunshine. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Seashell showing the clouds that we saw today. If you know Notice them. They're really quite spectacular. There's either like an alto or a zero cumulus cloud, the alto or zero, just depending on the height of that cloud cover, but really cute clouds. All right, back to you guys. All right, thank you, Christy. Wild. Okay, uh, Squires here. We heard about the Canucks going into the Hall of Fame earlier. BC Lions off to a blistering start. Oof, Lots, are they ever? They've been, uh, both their wins were huge. Mm-hmm. They didn't expect another blowout win, but they got one. However, what is the word? Victory, is that right? What did you say? A 
a pyrrhic victory. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Where you, you know, you win, but it hurts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it hurt the Lions. We'll talk about that. We'll, we'll come back and talk more about the Sedins and Luongo and hear when they got the call from the hall. That rhymed. <laughs> Look forward to it. So intellectual in mm-hmm. the sports tonight. Also tonight, back to the future for the Vancouver Art Gallery with a design that weaves its own story. That's later. Is Canucks in the Hall kind of like kids in the Hall? Well, they're not kids anymore. No, they're not. But it's a good analogy. (laughs) I don't really know if it is, but thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Well, the Canucks didn't win the Stanley Cup this year. We all know that. But they did win Hall of Fame Day as three of the greats from one of the greatest eras in franchise history were all voted in during their first year of eligibility. Henrik and Daniel who we all knew were destined to be immortals in the Hall of Fame, and Roberto Luongo, who had some glorious seasons and games at Rogers Arena, both with the Canucks and, of course, with Team Canada in 2010. The three amigos, the guys beside me, will all be there on induction weekend in November. Roberto Luongo, Daniel Sedin, and Henrik Sedin, the three pillars in which the Canucks built two President's Trophy wins and nearly a Stanley Cup. And now all three are more than just immortals in Canucks history, they're now immortals in hockey history, as they were all put in the Hall of Fame in the first year of eligibility. Cuts to the middle, Edler, Daniel, scores! Wow. Is this uh, Daniel? Daniel, it's uh, Lanny McDonald and Mike Gardner uh, calling from the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, just so you know, uh, we did just call your brother, who was sworn to secrecy not to call you and tell you. Uh, so now we can actually say you are both going in uh, in the class of 2022. Oh wow! Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. What a what a feeling. <laughs> Daniel, Henry, back for Daniel. Let's it go! He scores. Very well deserved, and we said the same thing to your brother that obviously your on-ice uh, heroics were were what got you into the Hall of Fame, but what sealed the fate was just how well people spoke of, uh, of how you were off the ice and what you've done within your community, which is a big part of the criteria as well. So you should be very proud of that as well. And not long after the Sedins got the call, Roberto Luongo got the call. You have been inducted into the class of 2022. Congratulations. Oh, my God. Thank you so much, guys. Wow, that's (laughs) an unbelievable honor. Thank you so much. And even though he spent more seasons playing goal for the Florida Panthers than he did the Vancouver Canucks and still works for the Panthers, Roberto Luongo has a big piece of the Canucks going with him to the Hall of Fame. Congratulations to all of them. Okay, so the BC Lions ran over another team when Nathan Rourke and his friends sunk the Argonauts on Saturday, 44-3. But it was a painful win for some BC Lions, and the Lions don't have a lot of time to get these guys healthy as they will play in Ottawa on Thursday night. Oh, a massive pop. That's Butler. He gets absolutely hammered on the play. Obviously, I didn't see him. You know, I'm so focused on catching the ball and holding on to the ball at that point. You're just trying to brace for impact as much as possible. It's kind of like turn around, there's a train. You don't even know like you're on the tracks. This is the bone-jarring hit that ended James Butler's night. And according to Butler, it looked a lot worse than it felt. 
wasn't as bad as as people thought it was. You know what I'm saying? My mom called me. She was super worried, but uh, but it, it wasn't that bad. It's part of the game. But like I did, like when people close to me, they were like, that was definitely probably the hardest the hardest hit I've seen you take. And I said, yeah, honestly, yeah, probably was. Butler was one of three Lions who went down and didn't finish the game against the Argos. He's likely to play in Ottawa on Thursday. Bo Lacumbo's status is unclear after he was felled by friendly fire. And unlike the hit Butler received, this one left its mark. That was the hardest hit. That was it was all it was all jaw, all chin. It was one of those like I felt like I got I got a like a knockout punch from Mike Tyson in his prime. That's what it felt like. Yeah, it was it was a it was a good one. You're usually delivering those hits. Yeah. It's a lot different being on the receiving end, huh? It is. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the the whole, like, the bad thing about this, it was my own teammate that de- delivered the this hit. So it kind of sucks. But. The one player we won't see in action for possibly the next month and a half is Brian Burnham. We've seen the dependable and always clutch Lions receiver get crunched like this going under the middle time and time again for a hit that didn't look like much. Burnham spent a couple nights in hospital with broken ribs and a punctured lung. He's the most serious. Um, the good news is, is we fully expect him back this year. Um, so I would guess he's going to be about a month, somewhere in that range. So, um, you know, we're talking, we have a bye week mixed in there. So we're hoping it's somewhere in the three to four, five games, somewhere in there. And uh, we'll see how he goes, though, from there. Whitecaps now have a time and date for their Canadian Championship game against Toronto, July 26, 7.30 at BC Place. The Whitecaps have not won this trophy, the Voyagers Cup, since 2015. And Vancouver's Rebecca Marino at Wimbledon today. She gave it a pretty good run against Katakawa, who's number six in this tournament. Took it to three sets, lost the third set, 7-5. So mm. Marino is out, but she gave it a good run. Tough to see it end. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Up next, new details on the future Vancouver Art Gallery and how the exhibits inside the building won't be the only works of art. All right, Jordan Armstrong is back. Papa Armstrong is mm-hmm. back with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Congratulations. Thank you, Sophie. Always. Great to be back. And I'm powered by coffee tonight and every night. As many organizations bring their employees back to the office, the city of Surrey could go back to virtual council meetings. Tonight, the Doug McCallum majority is expected to pass a motion to move meetings online from in person. And it has nothing to do with the pandemic. Instead, It's an attempt by some councillors to restore order at City Hall. As you know, the mayor is often heckled by his opponents, and they are not happy with this move. So we'll have the decision and reaction to it tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie. Interesting. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. He's back to work for a rest. You know that's (laughs) Vacation being here. The vacation. All right, thanks, Jordan. A new visual arts center is one step closer to becoming a reality after getting a $30 million boost in funding from the federal government. Not only would it be the most environmentally sustainable art gallery in the country, but as John Hua reports, the design has cultural significance as well. Wrapped around this dream nearly a decade in the making is a powerful message woven right into its twill-like design. This weaves a history here a foundation of how do we look at reconciliation. Inspiration and consultation, key parts of the new Vancouver Art Gallery project. Now $29.3 million in federal funding closer to becoming a reality. You all have a responsibility with this building to weave the fabric of who we are as people, to find a place where there is no more racism, there is no more bullying, there is no more hurts. 
At 330,000 square feet, the exhibition space alone will be doubled. The building will house artists in residence studios, a theater, and an indigenous gathering place. That weaving and those designs and those patterns, they represent us coming together, weaving together the fabric of our society. The ambitious $400 million project sets out to be the largest passive house gallery in the world, a designation earned by reducing energy consumption by 75%. Once built at its new location on Cambian, West Georgia in Vancouver, the Mass Timber Building will be called the Chan Centre for Visual Arts. It is not just the infrastructure. It is not just the climate uh, uh, issues. It's the, it's the history. It's telling a story of B.C. that the rest of the country doesn't know. But the early chapters of getting this project off the ground were longer than many anticipated. And while the majority of funding has come from private donors, there is still a ways to go. We're um, 70% there on our fundraising goal of $400 million. If all goes as planned, we'll break ground next year in 2023. Perhaps that hope is once again drawn from the strength this building might one day represent. For me, when we talked about doing this project, I thought about our resilience as First Nations. Like all art, the new gallery can mean many different things. But it's clear by reflecting on the past and pushing forward together towards reconciliation. The dream is to weave together a much closer-knit community as a whole. John Hua, Global News. It looks really beautiful. Mm, what a showpiece downtown, for sure, when they do finally get it built. Uh, okay, last word on weather before we go. And the heat that finally is going to break for us a little bit here, Christy. That's right. For a few days, big drop in temperature by a good 10 degrees. There may be some of you that are pulling out the sweater tomorrow, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, periods of rain is the biggest concern because it will be heavy at times and it comes with thunderstorms. So keep your ear out for that. Anytime you hear thunder, you have the potential of being struck by lightning. Uh, so maybe head indoors if that is the case, uh, that you have a thunderstorm nearby. And then, of course, we'll be watching the river levels with this intense runoff from the heavy rain. We'll uh, be seeing some impact on the rivers also. Back to you. Canada Day looking pretty good on Friday, too. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks, everyone, for watching. Have a good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.